Welcome to my podcast. I am Evan Makovsky, and I am pleased to be joined by Moderna's Chief Communications Officer, Ray Jordan. Ray joined in June of last year. He started out as a contractor in March of last year, so squarely at the start and in the middle of the pandemic. Moderna announced last week that they are trying to get or applied for FDA approval for their coronavirus vaccine. And Ray, let's uh, first welcome you to the program. I appreciate your time. Well, Evan, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for uh, inviting me to have this conversation with you. Looking forward to it. Well, why don't you take us back to the start here? You started contracting in March of 2020, and then you took on the full-time role of Chief Communications Officer with Moderna. Uh, Describe us the circumstances surrounding that. Surely. So um, I, I, in theory, I, I had retired and in fact had formally retired from Amgen on uh, February 28th of uh, 2020 and was uh, just beginning to uh, think about what that meant uh, for me. Um, when the fact of my longstanding interest in the messenger RNA uh, technology caught up with me. What happened was that while I was at um, uh, Amgen, uh, a, a journalist knew of my uh, interest in this uh, new technology and said, at some point, I just had to meet, you know, Stefan Bansell, who was the, um, you know, the CEO of Moderna. So uh, when I was in Cambridge uh, visiting family um, uh, a couple of years back, I set up a brief 30-minute conversation uh, with Stefan, which went on for about an hour and a half. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed, you know, what he was doing with the technology. Uh, we 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 enjoyed talking about the science, the business model, the upcoming um, uh, medicines, and and then I gave it no thought uh, because I was, uh, you know, busy with Amgen and and moved to retirement. So two weeks after I had begun this uh, um, uh, this completely failed experiment at retiring, I got a call from Stefan. Uh, Mar- just about March 15th saying, uh, Hey Ray, what are you up to? I'm like, well, I'm trying to learn how to retire. And he's like, well, I need you. And, and I asked him what's going on. And he explained that the next day that Moderna was going, uh, into its first in human trial with the vaccine candidate against, uh, COVID-19. Uh, he had explained to me that his, um, prior, uh, corporate communication leave, lead had uh, moved the prior late the prior year to the Midwest and was working only part time. And I agreed with him that he was going to need some help <laughs> with, with the situation. So I began working, um, leading in effect, leading the uh, um, the corporate affairs function for them, which was and still is a terribly small uh, function. But uh, uh being involved with, uh, you know, with every form of, um, of media from a consumer to business to, um, you know, to health trades. And um, it's been absolutely exhausting and exhilarating the all, all at the same time. The conversion from a consultant to um, employee was just, um, you know, it was a conversion on paper. It really didn't change anything about what we were what we were doing. So, uh, so it's been, it's been quite, it's been quite, quite a run. I'm happy to sort of pick up on any pieces of it that might, uh, might be interesting to you. Well, there are several pieces of it and yes, your job duties, but 
you mentioned you joined as a consultant. You mentioned March 15th. So, I mean, that was right around March 15th, 2020, when everything was shutting down. People were working from home. Uh, you mentioned the mRNA um, vaccine, which has been in the works, I believe, since 2012. Maybe you need to correct that. But, like, what was the framework in March of uh, in March of 2020, when things are shutting down, this coronavirus is starting to take hold around the world. What was known as far as Moderna's vaccine, getting it out, its efficacy against the coronavirus? Like what, what was known then when you first started talking with the CEO? Right. Well, there was a lot that uh, Moderna understood about vaccines. The COVID-19 um, vaccine was actually the 10th uh, mRNA vaccine that Moderna brought to clinical trials. It ended up being the first to be um, authorized for use, but it, but it followed a long line of other uh, vaccine candidates that were proceeding, you know, on the, the, the typical, which means slower pace of you know testing and approval and the data looked good for some of those earlier uh trials so there was a certain confidence that uh moderna had that it could address this virus uh, address it with mrna and do it in a in a rapid fashion so uh the company went from the from understanding the sequence of the virus to having this first, um, you know, um, um, injection into humans in roughly 42 days, which is, you know, historically unheard of in terms of going from just identifying a disease to having something that is, uh, you know, intended to treat it. But uh, that, but that was the that was the the um, joy and the anticipation associated with messenger RNA that it allowed you the possibility of moving with that kind of rapidity for people and there are a fair amount of people not just in this country but even more so worldwide that have not been vaccinated that may have fears about being vaccinated uh, communicate yes the word communicate to them how messenger rna is completely safe well you know there i i will correct that slightly and say there are adverse events that you know we have reported associated with the um with the vaccine we br brought the vaccine through uh three phases of clinical trials the first phase really to test the uh safety of the vaccine the second test with hundreds of uh participants to test the right dosing of the vaccine and and the the, the biological impact um, and then and also double check the safety. And then the third phase, which involved over 30,000 uh, participants, which um, uh, ran a test between the vaccine and people who were given shots of what we call placebo, basically, uh, you know, a, a non vaccinated people. And we looked at the outcomes associated with the people who had been vaccinated and the people who were not vaccinated and um, and were able to test both safety and uh, efficacy through that major test. And we found for, you know, for the most part, the, 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 
the predominant um, reactions were what we call self-limiting, meaning they sort of took care of themselves uh, without without uh, medical intervention. Uh, briefly, uh, Evan, what I'll do is I'll explain like the way messenger RNA works in the body, just so folks can get kind of a picture if they've been vaccinated with either um, uh, our vaccine or the Pfizer BioNTech vaccine. There's a comparable mechanism. Um, messenger RNA provides instructions to uh, your cells about how to create a protein. Um, the the messenger RNA itself leaves the body quite rapidly, but the protein it creates is more durable. The protein we ask this messenger RNA to create is a protein that resembles what's called the spike protein on the surface of the virus. So that protein uh, that it creates an effect uh, um, tricks or induces your body to creating the uh, antibody responses that will will serve to fight the virus if the virus actually shows up later. So so that that's how that's how it works. They say the mRNA is quite um, uh, rapidly um, le leaves the system quite rapidly. There has been and I don't know and I don't want to specify incorrectly whether it's the Moderna vaccine or the Pfizer vaccine, but there have been a couple of you know, I know Bill Maher is a celebrity and he was vaccinated and he tested positive for coronavirus and was asymptomatic. Um, and, but they canceled uh, an episode or two of his show due to his positive test. How do people still, and I know it's a small percentage and maybe a very small, but how do people still post-vaccination, even with uh, no symptoms still yield a positive result? That's a great question. Um, I'll point you, I'll pull you back to that phase three trial that I discussed with 30,000 plus uh, patients, or not patients, but participants. Um, the good news was that our vaccine was what we called 94 plus percent efficacious. Um, the bad news, if you want, that means 94% of the, of the time, the people were protected from the virus who otherwise would have gotten it, you know, would have gotten COVID. The bad news is that means there's 6% of people who still got COVID despite the protection from the vaccine. So, so yes, there were breakthrough cases for people that are um, vaccinated and it's a function of that um, efficacy level not being 100%. If the vaccine was 100% effective, it would mean that in that trial, nobody got uh, COVID-19. Uh, but in this case, they did. The good news with our trial was that the, the vaccine was 100% effective in stopping serious cases of COVID-19, right? So serious cases or death. Um, but 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 yes, you can you can still get uh, you can still get COVID-19 after having taken any of the vaccines. It's just that it dramatically reduces the chance that you'll get it. And also and again, I realize this is a delicate topic and misinformation is not wanted to be communicated. But if you test positive for COVID post vaccination, a lot of these 
people are asymptomatic and and I again don't want to put words in your mouth and correct me if I'm wrong but the damage that covid can inflict on a person is reduced well what what we found was that people who were infected people who were infected by covid-19 did not have uh for the vast majority did not face hospitalization or death uh, from COVID, right? So I, I, I actually can't answer about the symptomatic aspects of it, but what I, what I do have confidence in is the reduction to almost zero of the uh, se most severe consequences of COVID-19. It's a pleasure to be joined by Ray Jordan, the Chief Communications Officer for Moderna. I'm Evan Makovsky. Okay, so now let's go to June of 2020. What are you joined right in the beginning and then full-time in the middle of the pandemic? What are your day-to-day -day communications duties? So um, it was media, 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 and honestly still is. Some days, some days. I, so I worked with one other media uh, relations person on staff, and she and I fielded incoming uh, media inquiries and um, also did all of the outgoing uh, press releases. Uh, to give you kind of a sense of, like, a sense of the order of magnitude of change for Moderna um, pre pandemic, so in let's say late 2019, we were issuing on the order of, let's call it maybe four uh, press releases a month. Um, through the pandemic, and it, even unto now, we're more in the 15 to 20 uh, press releases a month uh, category. There, we've had um, you know a week or two recently where we've had as many as 10 press releases in a in a week. There is you know so much um, demand for information, and there's so much new information coming from the work uh, that we're doing that it's been. Um, it's been both, you know, again, incoming and outgoing um, interactions. Sometimes, sometimes well over 100 incoming media inquiries a day just because of the, you know, um, because of the issue that Moderna was addressing and because of both the whole questions, concerns, you know, about Moderna's uh, vaccine. Last year, President Trump was talking about the vaccine and early on he held daily press briefings where Dr. Anthony Fauci would speak and uh, Deborah Burks would speak as well. What was your communication and whether it was you personally or the company with the White House during the pandemic and also with Dr. Fauci? So we've partnered with um, Dr. Fauci's uh, group, uh, NIAID, the Infectious uh, Disease Group, for um, uh, a few years uh, working on various um, vaccines and, and related projects. We worked, uh, for instance, on the MERS, uh, you know, vaccine, which, you know, looked like it might have popped into a pandemic, uh, thankfully didn't. Um, but so, so we had a regular working relationship with parts of the um, National Institutes of Health, including uh, Dr. Fauci's group. That continued as we moved into the, um, into the pandemic, the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. 
We also worked in the White House with the team that at that time was called um, Operation uh, Warp Speed, mm -hmm. which was a group designed, it was an administration group designed to facilitate the development and deployment of, uh, of vaccines. And um, we, we had good working uh, relationships with that team. We depended on them as, a, again, as a company that hadn't had any commercial products we were scaling up our manufacturing in an unprecedentedly rapid uh, way. And so, so that scale up was, um, um, you know, was, was something that was facilitated by the, by the government. We, we, we seldom commented on any matters of, you know, politics and the like, and, and really preferred to point people to our clinical data and to what the clinical data said. So, so we, I, I don't think you'll find us, you know, having made projections about whether our vaccine would be available before or after the election or, or anything like that. We really wanted the science to drive the, the timeframes associated uh, with that. Um, Continue. Oh, um, yeah. In fact, in that regard, I'll, I'll mention one one anecdote because it also goes to, the, you know, the communication role in there. There was even a point as we were enrolling this large phase three trial that I described, um, you know, you've, you've got to find your 30,000 you know, participants to have them, uh, you know, agree to join the trial. And as we were partway into it, we did not like the the look of the diversity that was uh, emerging for the trial. And so we actively paused the trial and we announced the pause in the trial so that, so that we could um, rethink how we were, uh, uh, you know, bringing different populations into it. And at that point, uh, there was so much interest in that question that we decided to just go ahead. We did not have great, great, uh, you know, we did not have a great balance at the point where we made the pause and rebegin, but we decided to start um, posting every Friday uh, our stats for how we were doing in the recruitment. So it was uh, it was a step towards transparency that uh, you know we said, well, this is painful to do, but maybe that's what you need to do to be properly <laughs> transparent. And and yet we found it was one of the one of the strongest things we, we could do to build kind of the the credibility around the trial, uh, the, the respect that that people had for how the trial was being conducted and so on. So I, I, I can't speak, you know, too highly of the value that that step towards transparency brought us. Ray, uh, you mentioned you were in retirement mode, and this is the antithesis <laughs> of uh, <laughs> retirement during dealing with a historical world crisis and running communications. So then the vaccine comes out. How did your duties change or was it just the same? Media, media, media. Uh, media, 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 but, but, uh, but different topics. Right, completely different topics. Uh, when we when we got into uh, December of uh, 20 and into January of uh, 21, all of a sudden the vaccine was you know authorized for use. So then it was all about where is it, how much of it is there, where is it going, how fast is it going, 
Can you make more of it? <laughs> when are you going to make more of it? What countries are getting it? Where are you making it, right? So it went all from the clinical, um, from the clinical questions to the questions of distribution, use, and, and, and so forth. Ray, what about um, the fact that last week Moderna applied for FDA approval? Pfizer did on May 7th. You've said the, that they're mostly similar. I also know you used to work for Pfizer. Uh, the first question is, what are, if there are any, uh, any differences between the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccine? Yeah, and so, so to be clear on that, Evan, the, the mechanisms, that is the use of messenger RNA, are similar between uh, Pfizer and Moderna, but there are very different sort of proprietary elements of each, um, of each um, uh, vaccine that, that, that would, would uh, you know, would be, would be probably a full book to, uh, to describe. Um, uh, we, we have several hundred steps, right, in, in the creation, the manufacturing creation of the vaccine. And I expect, although I, 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 I don't know, that Pfizer is in a, a comparable uh, situation. So, uh, but we've seen, we've seen generally similar efficacy between, between the two vaccines, and they depend on the same underlying technology platform. And that platform uh, that Moderna and Pfizer BioNTech use is a different platform from the, the platform that, say, you know, Pfizer, I'm sorry, uh, Johnson & Johnson or, uh, you know, AstraZeneca, uh, to pick a couple of other uh, examples, are using. And Pfizer and Moderna are two shots, while Johnson & Johnson is one, correct? That's correct. Yeah, the, the, uh, Pfizer and Moderna are two shots. Ours separated by four weeks. Pfizer's separated by three weeks uh, versus the J&J &J single shot uh, vaccine. So right now, Moderna, Pfizer have emergency use approval and obviously Correct. millions of people have been vaccinated. They both have applied for FDA approval. For people that don't understand that process, can you tell them what emergency use approval is and then if in fact i believe there's a six month time period but you can correct me if i'm wrong if in fact fda approval is granted then what happens to the vaccine as far as the way it's carried by pharmacies or other uh places that administer it no that, that, that that's a good question evan so yeah you you're correct we were we're operating now under what's called emergency use authorization and the fda grants that in in some cases with less um complete data still very large uh data sets but less complete data than it would typically require for what's called a biologics license application or a bla um, a BLA is what you think of typically when, when a, you know, a company announces that their, their medicine has received FDA approval, right? Typically, that's the, that's the BLA for biologics. That, what that does is it, it gives you an opportunity to um, name and market your, your, uh, your product, as opposed to when you're working under emergency use, you do not have... Um, let's say the uh, marketing armamentarium associated with it, 
right? So, so and, and there are other sort of other uh, kind of use uh, restrictions, but fundamentally, an EUA would be used in an emergency uh, setting, thus the emergency use authorization name, uh, and it would be expected that the company would would work towards a conversion uh, for a full, um, you know, a full authorization, the biologics license application at some point. Now, would that then, if after FDA approval, will it be carried on pharmacy shelves or explain how the uh, difference uh, occurs? Is there any difference as far as the way it's administered, the way that customers can get it? Um, that Those determinations haven't been made uh, for, for the vaccine. We're in uh, continuing discussions, not only with the U.S., but with other, uh, other governments about uh, future use for the vaccine. And, and um, I would expect that for a period of time, probably into 2022, the primary purchasers would remain the, uh, the governments and that they would then manage and determine the, the distribution mechanisms for, for the vaccine. So, so the, the, the biologics license application might allow us, for instance, to look at the private, you know, purchasers of the vaccine and so on. But, but my expectation is that the, the government and governments would continue to um, uh, handle the purchase and distribution in most markets. You can't tell anyone what to be comfortable with, what to put in their body. Uh, I understand all that, but I've met uh, even somebody within the last week who says, I'm waiting for full FDA approval before I get the vaccine. Your response to that? It's certainly, it's certainly they're right. The FDA will have more uh, information, uh, more data, at that point, there was a, um, a lot, there was a very strong package that was delivered to the FDA for the emergency use authorization. And in the case of Moderna, you know, there are well over 100 million, you know, Americans who have received it. Um, and, you know, the, the, the uh, CDC, the, the um, uh, it keeps looking at um, safety data and will, you know, research any issues that uh, come up. So, um, um, you know, I've, I've gotten it and I'm delighted to, um, you know, feel that extra level of, uh, of protection from it. What was Moderna? And I know you weren't with the company, but it's worth exploring. And they've been working on the mRNA vaccines as you've already hit on, but what was Moderna known for as far as public distribution prior to COVID-19? Absolutely nothing. There was, there was no commercial uh, product on the market that, uh, that Moderna had prior to um, uh, our mRNA-1273, which is the vaccine against COVID-19. Um, the company had, as I mentioned, um, nine other vaccines in clinical trials. And I know roughly an equal number of um, what I would call therapeutic uh, candidates. So, so mRNA-based medicines that, would, that were designed to treat disease, not like a vaccine to prevent disease. But um, uh, those were all clinical trials, so there wasn't, a, there wasn't a commercial product. 
so the company, which I believe was launched in 2010, you mentioned shortly thereafter, they started right. working on mRNA vaccines. So there was nothing taken to market between the end of 2020 and I, I mean, basically a, a decade in business. A decade. There was a decade. There was a, we were in business for a decade before there was a, um, a product that was um, in the market. Uh, for us. We had obviously with the clinical trials, right, people were using our products, but but not not commercially. That's absolutely correct. So that that I must say from a um, from a media relations point of view, yeah, that was quite a challenge in the early part of uh, 2020, because right here we are um, a company with no commercial product, right, uh, coming forward with a vaccine very rapidly. And um, um, all we had was the technology and, and products in trials. So I will say there was a lot of skepticism about what we were doing. And uh, some of that showed itself in, you know, in, in news reports, media coverage, uh, um, strong skepticism, and sometimes even criticism about our, you know, uh, sort of, who do we think we are <laughs> jumping into this race, given our, our lack of history? It's, ama but, uh, it's amazing. And, and taking that a step further here, I, I know that six months and there's going to take time, you know, this is vaccine is going to be available for a while, but and now it's available free to people. But what has it done? And this is not um, discrediting or taking anything away from the health and the caring parts of uh, Moderna, but what has this vaccine done to Moderna's business? Well, in effect, it created the first, you know, positive revenue uh, line for us. It, it's meant uh, Moderna had always operated with a need to raise uh, investor revenues in order to pursue um, uh, its own development work. And now, really, for the first time, there's uh, sufficient cash where we can expand the research and development portfolio and start reaching this technology, this mRNA technology, into a wider array of, uh, of programs. Uh, in fact, I, uh, the, the program that was supposed to be our first um, product to market is a, a, a vaccine that addresses something called uh, cytomegalovirus. CMV, and it's a virus that that affects uh, women of childbearing age. Well, it can affect more people, but it, but its severe repercussions are when women of childbearing age uh, have the virus, they can transmit it to their uh, unborn infants, and that can create uh, birth defects in those infants. Uh, in fact, it's the largest um, uh, creator of birth defects in the U.S. that we're that we're aware of. And that product was under investigation, and we thought it would be out in the 2024, you know, 2025 timeframe. So, so this pulled the timing sequence up very rapidly for us, right? So here we were commercialized probably three years uh, sooner than we, we would have been. We had no commercial organization a year ago. Right. So so it, it's that's created a very rapid uh, build of that.
a lot of science. We had plenty of science and, and we had begun building out manufacturing capabilities. But as you can imagine, we had to ramp those up tremendously too to address the, the pandemic needs. Last question before I get into your personal career and I appreciate uh, your time here. And uh, oh, there's my no pleasure. nothing more timely as far as just a health issue to a, uh, a world issue than me getting to interview you here. Um, there are people that have fears and obviously you can't guarantee the future and things happen, but that this vaccine or Pfizer's vaccine or Johnson and Johnson's, it doesn't in two, three years is going to have cause issues, health issues. I don't know. You mentioned uh, childbearing issues or fertility issues or any other kind of issues where it gives you, makes you grow a third arm or you have a third eye in your forehead. I'm just spitballing here. What can you say from a company standpoint without being able to fully predict a crystal ball, but to assure people that what's being put out here by Moderna around their COVID vaccine will not cause problems in a couple of years? Um, it's, a, it's a very fair question, uh, Evan. I, I'll point out, yeah, and, and it's right, very hard to, to look forever into the future, but, but I will point out that you know, the, the vaccines and this technology right, have been under, uh, under clinical testing for a number of years, not for COVID-19. But, but on the COVID-19 case in particular, again, this large 30 plus thousand person trial uh, is designed to run for a full two year period. So those folks will be um, tracked very closely for, for, for that period and any, any signals, safety signals that begin to emerge you know, within a two year period will, will certainly be known. The other thing that I would mention is um, that we continue to track cases and situations in what's called real world evidence uh, analyses, where, you know, never mind 30,000 people, we have 100 plus million people, right, who, who, have, who have taken the vaccine. And, and that, um, the data that comes from the experiences those people have will continue to be tracked uh, over time. So that, that's, that's the assurance, again, not being able to predict the future, but watching the outcomes very carefully and, and over a, a lengthy period and with high numbers of uh, participations. Now to you, Ray, uh, you've worked for Amgen, okay. you've worked for Johnson & Johnson, you've worked for <laughs> Pfizer, so you have all the bases covered, at least uh, with Johnson & Johnson, oh, Pfizer, and Moderna. Right, right. But uh, <laughs> is this, you know, right here, as you were going to retirement, is this the biggest challenge of your career? It's been the most, it's been the most intense year of my career. I, I can certainly indicate that. As I said, a combination of, you know, exhausting and exhilarating all, all at once, but it's, there's almost no mission, right, that I could have felt more compelled to pursue than to help, help to bring this thing forward. I mean, we, we, all, we, we all understand the, the challenges that we faced with COVID. And if we were lucky enough, you know, not to have um, family or friends directly impacted and we all were you know unlucky enough to have been you know locked up for uh, much of the past year 
So the ability to, to make that kind of difference, the, the value in, in um, communicating with media and getting them to understand and even um, um, appreciate uh, the, the science behind what you're doing, I think went a long way for creating a um, um, comfort among people to get vaccinated, which uh, you know I believed that those who did were in better shape uh, because of it. And so it was, it was very much a, a, a mission-driven opportunity, not something I would have passed up on. Um, and something I realized I just, you know, I just had to, I just had to jump in on. I, I couldn't not take that calling. R wrapping up here with Ray Jordan, Chief Communications Officer for Moderna. I'm Evan Makovsky. You have a excellent background, Yale educated for your bachelor's degree, Columbia Business School, and then you ran, you were the CEO um, for a, and again, I'm just going off your CV for business financial and systems consulting practice. Um, it looks like for nine years, and then you moved to Pfizer, where you were the vice president of corporate affairs for 17 years. So, how the transition into communications was this something that was on your mind during your education? Great question. So, you know, in 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 high school, I worked on the uh, on the high school paper, and I enjoyed it. And when I when I when I went to college, uh, we we ended up having a daily newspaper and I was trying to be a math major, but at the same time I was working almost every day on, uh, this is at the, the Brown daily Herald. And I, you know, and that got, that got under my skin. I was, I truly enjoyed that newspaper work. And I realized I could, you know, being a math major and spending the full day and many evenings because we would edit the paper all night. Uh, th this was just like, something's not clicking here. So I'm like, I got to get this journalism stuff, uh, uh, you know, out of, uh, you know, I, I got to deal with this one way or another. So I took a leave of absence and went to work as a, as a local uh, journalist in a, in a uh, Connecticut city, uh, enjoyed that. And then went back to, then went back to college. So as I was doing consulting work with, uh, with Pfizer, I started gravitating back. I was doing some systems consulting work with them, but I started gravitating back and, you know, snooping around the, the communication area. And, you know, I had just missed, I had missed the drive and the energy associated with, you know, journalism and communication. So I, I found my way back to it. Uh, Pfizer was, was uh, you know, willing to sort of bring people to different functional areas, um, large companies, so you could exercise in, in different areas. And, uh, you know, by, by, by the time I, I left uh, Pfizer for um, Johnson & Johnson, you know, I was hooked in the communication area, and and I must say, any any adrenaline that you know daily journalism gave me the last year yeah. has has given me in in, in massive quantities. So. Well, but my last question is, what's next here for Ray Jordan? You you stepped into retirement, and now you got you know. I don't know, you were brought back into the World <laughs> Series of Health Issues. And, uh, you know, I, I don't want you to predict the future here, but is working for several more years something you would like to do? Or is this kind of you'd like to maybe make sure that this uh, issue is settled to some degree and then re-retire? 
Well, I, there, there, there's probably something in both of those, right? <laughs> uh, number one, I'm very, I'm very committed to to the science and to you know helping Moderna build its business. Not just because it's the business I'm in, but but because I think messenger RNA has such incredible opportunity to transform you know a number of different uh, disease areas. We haven't we haven't talked about you know what we're doing in on, oncology or what we're doing in heart disease, right? The the other other areas what we're well, what we're going to do. What are you doing? Flu. What are you doing? We're, we're, a quick we're, elevator we're, speech. Go. And we're we're, do, we're deploying messenger RNA in in all of these areas, in, including the possibility of of um, um, making progress in HIV uh, interventions, right? Because because messenger RNA makes proteins, and proteins drive so much of what your of what your body does, and so much so much of those interactions. So I am just I'm just you know beyond uh, fascinated still with that and with the with the potential, the completely positive disruption that messenger RNA can do uh, in, in medicine. So that's, that's got me hooked right now. <laughs> um, could, could, retire, could retirement be, uh, be an option again? Yeah, yeah, sure. You know, I love my family, would love to spend more time with them. But, but right now, this is, um, this is you know, all encompassing as a, as a commitment and as a mission. And um, it, you know, as as a business matter for me, so so I'm I'm good. But th- but thank you. And you know, it's like I, I I failed I failed so miserably at my first attempt at retirement. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to take some lessons before I try it again. Ray, thank you so much. It's been such an honor and an educational experience to talk with you as the chief communications officer of Moderna, it's certainly appreciated. Evan, I've really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you very much for for inviting me to it. And we will see you on the next episode when Joseph Cohen, the Chief Communications and Chief Marketing Officer of Access, joins us next time. Thank you very much.